welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership globally. I'm Scott Miller, and I serve as your host and moderator each week. As you may know, I have authored a new book for Franklin Covey, published by HarperCollins called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Mind. This book is available for pre-order now, on sale officially on September 7th. Basically, I took 30 of our first 50 or so interviews, carefully selected the ones that I thought would have the biggest transformative insight on you, and I wrote a short, breezy, easy chapter about each of them, sometimes very funny, sometimes quite serious, but I think you will enjoy the book, Master Mentors. We would be honored if you picked up a copy and shared it with your team, family, and friends as well as we continue to now to be, and gosh, our close to 200th episode, not quite, but getting close. Today's guest is Mindy Henderson, a dear friend of mine from Austin, Texas, the author of the forthcoming book called The Truth About Things That Suck, releasing probably at the end of 2022. Mindy, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Mindy, delighted you're here. You are a social media influencer. You are a frequent keynote speaker around the nation, around positivity and endurance and capability. You are a coach as well. I have been on one of your masterminds. You have a large following and growing influence nationally. Today, our topic is going to be a quite intimate, vulnerable conversation about abilities capabilities, disabilities. You uh, live your life primarily, at least on your mobile hours, in a wheelchair. You have some uh, uh, limitations on your physical abilities that I do not have. And as you and I have formed a friendship over the last year plus, I invited you onto the podcast because I wanted to have a vulnerable conversation so that the millions of people that watch and listen to this podcast worldwide can better understand as a neighbor, as a colleague, as a friend, as a leader, as a recruiter, how we can better help people that perhaps have compromised capabilities. And today, I've given you carte blanche to correct the terms that I'm using. We're gonna have, like I said, a very authentic conversation around how can I help you? How can you help me? How can the, the, you know, the millions of people that listen to this podcast that do not have physical limitations like myself, how can we better talk with and about and support and champion. And we'll work through some of the awkwardness of that because what I thought we could do is to use me as a bit of a guinea pig, right? And you could, you have carte blanche to correct me. And Scott, you know, this term is perhaps more respectful. This term is perhaps less helpful. You by no means claim to be the international ambassador of all people that have any kind of limitations on their capability, physical, emotional, cognitive, or otherwise. No one that is listening or watching this should hold you to that standard or put you on that pedestal. You can speak for yourself. You could probably speak for people that are perhaps in the community of which you share perhaps the, safe, the same health challenge. But I want to just disclaim up front that this is a, a vulnerable conversation. Wendy is, quote, putting herself out there. I am, quote, putting myself out there. We hope that no one takes uh, offense to this conversation. Our intent, let me declare, our intent is to have a conversation with two colleagues and two friends, one of which has some physical limitations, one of which does not, so that everyone, whether you are a parent, an uncle, a grandparent, or in a professional context, can have some insights, say, you know what, I didn't know that, or I've been using this term, and perhaps this term is more helpful. What happens when I offer support to someone and it's declined. 
how should I respond to that? So we're just gonna have a broad ranging conversation. We hope that you benefit more from it than any offense that is taken. I've given Mindy permission to correct me when I'm off base. And but before we get into that conversation, Mindy, I'd like to have you take a couple of moments, maybe a couple of minutes even, and kind of share your journey. Talk about why you are living life in a wheelchair, what that is like, what, how that makes your life better, how it makes your life more challenging. And then we'll get into some of the, the, the topics of our conversation. Absolutely. So yes, and and I just want to say right up front, thank you for having me here and for having this conversation with me so publicly. I think that it's a really important conversation to have, and I hope that it's helpful for those who see it. So uh, I was born with a neuromuscular condition. I was actually diagnosed when I was only about 15 months old with a condition called spinal muscular atrophy. And, you know, it's it's been an interesting interesting progression through my life. I I started to do things like stand and walk and, and do all of the things that babies normally do. And then I stopped and, you know, my, we embarked on what I like to call kind of a medical scavenger hunt to get my diagnosis. And my parents were in fact told along the way to that diagnosis that I would lose all of my cognitive function, that I would in fact lose all of my ability to stand and walk, and that I probably would not live to be three. And so fortunately for me, you know, two out of three of those predictions by the doctors were proven to be untrue relatively quickly. But the the fact remained of um, kind of life in a, you know, the sentence of life in a wheelchair. And it's been one of those things that I think could be a really significant challenge in someone's life. And it is, don't get me wrong, but I think that it's also been sort of a powerful blessing in disguise. And that actually sort of culminated or or came to be something that could be a real positive in my life when I was only about four. My parents had partnered with the Muscular Dystrophy Association to try to get some support and some information about how to help me going forward. And when I was about four, they asked me to serve them as their Texas State Goodwill Ambassador, which was a huge honor. I also served them in the state of Florida. But in that process, I got to do things like give speeches. And I actually gave my first speech when I was only about four and really caught the speaking bug because I learned really early on the value of sharing our stories and having hard conversations about the hard things in life and seeing the impact that that could have on other people. And it led me down a very long windy road to what I'm doing today, working, as you said, as a motivational speaker, a writer, a podcast host. Mindy, in fact, you were literally the MD poster child as a young young girl. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the book that you're writing. You've got a book that's called The Truth About Things that suck coming out in about a year from now. Tell us just pragmatically, you don't have use of your arms or your legs, your arms, you can't see them on screen, but I think they are on um, a a platform in your wheelchair. What is it like to write a book? How do you do that? Do you have the use of your fingers? Do you dictate it? How do you actually, can you kind of walk us through what is your day like? What are your limitations? Do you have caretakers? I know you're married. You had a professional career. 
like me up until some time ago. Can you kind of walk us through what is your day to day life like? Yeah. So um, correction number one, it's actually not entirely true that I don't have use of my arms or my legs. I have limited use of my arms or my legs. The, the condition that I have does affect basically every muscle in my body. And over time, those muscles have atrophied, but I have enough use of my arms, for example, to be able to type. Um, so I use a computer just like you would use a computer uh, all day long, um, sometimes all night long, <laughs> depending on what chapter I'm writing. But um, but yeah, so I do have limited arms of my use. I drive uh, use of my arms. I drive a car that has been adapted with some super duper high tech equipment. It's all touch screens and buttons and levers and things that I only have to reach about maybe two, three inches to get to any particular control in my car. So um, just wanted to, to mention that I don't stand or walk. Um, I can move my legs a little bit, but that's, that's about it. So, you know, I think that the, the biggest difference, honestly, between my life and your life is that because of my physical limitations, my life is much more probably stringently architected than someone else's might be. I've had to learn over the years to be incredibly organized and intentional and honestly sort of a type A control freak about my approach to any single day. I've had to learn to be a big planner because I have help for the things that I need at certain times over the course of the day. I have about three personal care assistants who I employ to who come over up to three times a day and help me with various things like getting out of bed and getting dressed and using the restroom, cooking for my family, helping me take care of my pets. Um, grooming, hair, makeup, all of that good stuff. And so I really have to know, I've had to get good at knowing exactly what help I'm going to need and when I'm going to need it so that I can plan for it. Because otherwise I'm out of luck until the next assistant shows up, you know, six or seven hours from now. Uh, Mindy, it's sobering because our lives physically have very little in common, right? I mean, I can go where I want to go, get a cup of coffee, get a bagel, go pick up the dry cleaning, get gas for my car, take my boys out, and my life is not planned like yours. It's very spontaneous. I take it for granted until I talk with friends like you that make me become more grateful for what I have and my own physical capabilities. Uh, I mentioned when I opened the podcast that I recently authored a book called Master Mentors. The first <laughs> chapter features my friend Nick Vujicic, who you know, of course, was born with no arms, no legs, no yeah. limbs at all, has a small appendage on his foot, on his hip that allows him to kind of pivot on the ground. And I, the first chapter, I write about uh, Nick's physical capabilities and, you know, and uh, his inabilities, if you will. And recently, a friend of mine who is a, uh, an author and an expert on DEI and inclusion kind of took me to task because in the chapter, which by the way, Nick approved, I used the word handicapped. I, I, I used it just kind of naturally and perhaps even out of ignorance. And she kind of took me to task and said so much that she didn't even enjoy the chapter because she, she was kind of so distracted or frustrated with me. So let's start right there. In the book that Nick approved, he read this chapter and approved it. He had carte blanche on it. I described, I think, either him or others 
and their handicaps. Let's talk about that word. Again, you are not an ambassador for the entire yeah. world of people that have limitations. What are the appropriate words that you would like able-bodied people like me to use to describe perhaps less able-bodied, and even that, I'm making these words up, give me an yeah. education. Yeah, it, you know, that's such, it's such a hard question to answer for the very reason um, that, that you said, you know, even within, I think the, the disabled community there, it, it can be kind of a polarizing thing because the answer can vary from one person to another. Um, I don't love the term handicapped. I, I despise the word crippled, um, but personally I'm fine with the term disabled. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who would not be as comfortable with that term as I am. You know, every person in this community as an individual, of course, has their own preferences and ideas about how they would like to be addressed or described. And I think the best advice that I can give someone is just to be sensitive. And if you're not sure what the right term is, maybe asking the individual person that you're speaking with what their preference is. And one thing that I've learned is that it's never wrong to sort of take the people first approach with it. So rather than calling me a disabled person, it might be a little bit more sensitive to call me a person with a disability. You know, it's it's a little less defining because there's so much more to who I am than my physical limitations. And so I think starting with the individual or the human being first is a good way to go. So Mindy, role play with me. Uh, let's say I'm having over dinner at my house for one of my summer dinner parties. There are five or six stairs in our, our front door. You could not get up them anyway without a ramp or without someone picking your chair up or carrying you in. If right. I was referring to you in the third person and I said, well, we need to make some accommodations because my friend Mindy mm -hmm. is disabled, has a physical disability. Well, mm -hmm. what's, the right, what's the right phrase to refer to you with my caterer to describe the accommodation? Yeah, I think, you know, my friend Mindy, who is in a wheelchair, who uses a wheelchair, who is a person with a disability. And, you know, I think in the scenario that you're describing, the wheelchair is key because that tells the person, of course, that I can't climb four or five stairs. So, um, so yeah, I think that that would probably be the way to approach it. I mean, I think the reason I'm belaboring that is because I'm interested, right? And I, don't, and I hope that my curiosity is seen with good intent which is I want you to feel respected around me. I also don't want to feel awkward around you, and I don't want to uh, haphazardly or accidentally use a phrase that perhaps I was taught to use that I thought might have been respectful a decade ago that knows no longer is respectful. And so my intent is not to be politically correct. My intent is to be respectful of you. For example, you know, I was taught as a Caucasian for decades to refer to members of the black community as African-Americans. Right. As opposed to perhaps in the 70s, as you know, as a man from the South, Negroes. And now, in many cases, they prefer to be referred to as black because some of them are not from Africa. And I may have all that wrong. Please pre-forgive me. My intent is to educate myself. What you're basically saying is, is it's unique to the individual. And do your best to be respectful to what their needs are. And if you don't know, ask them. In the occasion when I need to speak to you about your disability, 
how would you like to be referred? And I'm guessing there are some people that perhaps have had a different journey than you have, or perhaps haven't had the same opportunities you have, and would ask, well, why would you ever need to see me through the lens of my disability? I mean, I can't help but notice that your capabilities are different than mine. Talk to that point around how you are viewed, treated, respected, disrespected through the lens of what is obvious a different set of capabilities physically than mine? That's, a, that's an interesting question. And, and I think the first thing that I want to say is that, you know, I, I agree with everything that you just said about, you know, sort of your evaluation of, of my answer. And I think that if you come at it from a place of respect and good intentions, typically that's going to shine through, especially if you are open to maybe being corrected if you find yourself speaking to someone with really specific preferences. And I think that the good thing here is that we're living in a society today that's really, I think, become hyper aware of you know, labels and descriptions and the the way that people in in various sort of marginalized categories would like to be referred to. And so I think that it's a good time to live in because I think that it's kind of um, it's it's become kind of a transparent world that we live in and and people are aware that within any given category people have their own preferences and things so you know to answer your question about just my daily life um i think that um that there is there are a lot of misconceptions i think about people who have physical disabilities. And I've had great experiences and I've had less great experiences. I will say that I think for the most part, I've been fortunate in my life in that people have treated me considerately and respectfully. But I think that one of the biggest misconceptions about people who may have some kind of a physical disability is that their their mind also has a physical disability. And so one of the most common things that people do is to maybe speak over my head to someone who's with me, my husband, my mom, my friends, and ask a question that very directly relates to me, my wants, my my preferences. And fortunately, you know, the people who I tend to spend time with um, are, you know, very aware that I can speak for myself. And their answer is usually something like, well, gosh, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess you should ask her. Um, and so I think that that's one of the most common mis- misconceptions and things that I see. You know, something else that I see is that, and it's it's kind of a, a hand in hand sort of, of thing. I, I've had people who almost treat me childlike which is is kind of interesting again i don't know if it if it harkens to the my my brain power and not not knowing um what my cognitive function is but i've had people pat me on the head which i don't think any of us would would appreciate um but then you know i i think that the my my sort of concept about the world is that the world is is largely and mostly full of people who are well-intentioned and who are um, really kind-hearted 
um, at the center of who they are and want to do the right things and say the right things. And I've experienced a lot of kindnesses. And in fact, I think that my, my physical vulnerabilities have been another gift in that they allow me to see those kindnesses from people every day, people who stop and open the door for me or ask me if there's something that I need. Um, and so that I think has been something in my life that I've really appreciated and that's given me a really positive outlook on our society and the people living in it. Mindy, let's pivot to that. Um... Uh, several months ago, I was at a grocery store here in, in, in Greater Salt Lake, and there's a gentleman who works there, kind of in a multifunction, has one arm, he's missing an arm. I later, after talking with him, came to understand he hasn't had an arm for decades, like 30, yeah. 40 years. And his job is to do lots of different things, including corral all the shopping carts out in the parking lot. And it was, you know, a sub-zero day. In the winter, he had like 12 shopping carts he had all put together with one arm and was pushing them into the door. And I went over and I thought what I did was very gracious. Said, hey, can I help you with that? And he was a little bit gruff and kind of shut me down. He said, no, 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 this is my job. I got it. And I thought, no, no really. I mean, you have like 300 pounds of shopping carts here, even with two arms. I'm not a very big guy, but I'm in, you know, legit health. It takes some effort to put 12 shopping carts with snow on the ground. And he kind of shut me down. And, and, I, and I felt that I had offended him, and I'm a strong enough person emotionally not to have taken it personally, but it was clear he did not want any help. And his response was quite gruff to me, and I pre-forgave him on the spot because who am I to have any judgment? Uh, can you speak for people like me that in, you know, generally want to help someone who perhaps has less physical abilities than I do, obviously didn't deter me from helping someone else in the future, but to what extent can you share any insights to say, you know, most people would like the help. There's a certain way to offer help. Don't offer help unless someone is struggling. I just take that anywhere you feel comfortable. Yeah, this is honestly another question where I think it can really vary from person to person. Mm -hmm. For me, I've had countless situations where I've been out and about and someone has offered to reach something off a shelf for me without having to ask or open the door for me or offered to fill up my gas tank. And I always take those things as kindnesses because I think that that is typically where the person is coming from. It's I, I don't personally believe that it's an indictment on me as a human being or my abilities to offer to fill up my gas tank for me. And I personally feel like those kinds of offers are usually coming from someone with a good heart yeah. who noticed me and who it occurred to offer a helping hand. And I personally would never be offended by that. And if I don't need the help, then I would very politely and have in certain situations, let the person know that no thanks, I'm, I'm good. On the other hand, I know that there are people out there who may take offense to someone prejudging or assuming that because they're sitting in a wheelchair that they can't do a particular thing for themselves. And so I think that if you're going to offer a stranger your assistance, you need to do it from just a place of kindness, which I'm sure is the case anyway. And to know that the person may or may not need your help or want your help and be prepared for either response. And 
you know, honestly, there have been times in life when, you know, I, as a person who sits in a wheelchair, have offered other people help before. And sometimes they want it and sometimes they don't. And when the person didn't want or need my help, that's been fine. And I know that my intention and the kindness with which I offered it, um, and if they don't want or need it, it's it's 100% fine. And that's, I think, the best way to look at it. Just know your intention. And when you make the offer, someone may or may not want or need the help. And both of those scenarios, I think, are fine. I'm guessing, Mindy, like in life, it's all about also how you say it. Perhaps the words you use as opposed to, here, let me do that for you, versus could you use some help with that? Perhaps it's both your intent, your inflection, your tone, and the words you use so that you know I'm not taking shame with you or pity on you or prejudge your abilities. Could you use some help with that? Very true. Yeah, I would never assume the way that you said it. um, Here, let me help you with that. I think it's always a good approach just to ask and not to um, not to go to the doing right away. And And the way that that was phrased, it jumped straight to the doing and almost cut the person and their ability to tell you if they want the help or not out of the equation. Does that make sense? It does. I want to remind our viewers and listeners that Uh, I know Mindy well enough to know all of her, not all of her, but many of her capabilities. Today's conversation is not meant to define her as a person that has a disability. She and I agreed up front that this would be a valuable conversation, not just for myself, which it is already, but for other people as well that perhaps are struggling like me to know how can they help, support, lift, provide a platform to, and shine a light on people with perhaps less um, uh, physical abilities than I have. Mindy, I want to save time to talk about the professional setting, right, and your career and what can leaders do to better not just accommodate, but to support and help people with limitations thrive. First, let's talk about what would you like the world to know of how life could be better, made more perhaps easier for people with limitations like on airplanes and on travel. Are there any, not necessarily soapboxes, but feel free to use this as a soapbox. Are there some things you would like for the designers of airplanes or of hotel rooms or anything we could do to get the word out that the rest of us could be a voice for you and for members of the less abled community, if that's the right word, I'm doing my best, pre-forgive me. What would you like us to know? I would probably counsel you against using the the phrase less able. Less able, thank you. Yes, because that, of course, implies, um, you know, something bigger than than maybe physical abilities. Mindy, Mindy, stop there a second again. I apologize for my ignorance. No. The the default word that I should have in my vocabulary when the awkwardness or the situation doesn't exist for me to ask the person, remind me the default word that I can, that I should use. Remind me. I think, I think, you know, saying a person, again, you know, person first, a person with a disability, or if you need to be more specific, um, depending on what the scenario calls for, maybe a person who uses a wheelchair. And in some cases, it might be a person that doesn't have arms, so they won't use a wheelchair, or perhaps a person that has, you know, some kind of other other physical limitations. So I'm going to use the word um, people with disabilities. Yes. What would you like to share with the rest of the world how we can be an advocate and more accommodating 
and help make your lives easier, more possible? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's so much that I could say about this. This I think is, is maybe my favorite question because there's so much to say here. And, you know, I think the first thing that's coming to mind is that, you know, there, there are so many categories of, you know, quote unquote, marginalized people in this world. Um, you know, there's, there's race, there's age, there's body type, there's, um, you know, people with disabilities. And I think that honestly, the category of people with disabilities, and by the way, they say that they're, that one in four people in the United States have a disability. That's of course defined in all kinds of different things and looks a lot of different ways, but there are a lot of people in this country who sort of fit that bill. And <clears throat> I think that it's one area where we've made kind of the least amount of progress. You know, the ADA exists and that was a great start, but you know, there's, there's something called universal design. And that typically applies to architecture and design of physical structures. And so for example, the home that I live in, my husband and I built or had built. And when we built this home, we, were very specific with the builder and about finding a builder who could build it so that it would be 100% accessible for me, but I didn't want it to look like it had been built to be accessible. Anyone I know could come into this house and live here and it doesn't necessarily look like that was how it was designed to be built. And I was thinking about our, our, our conversation today and a, a a phrase sort of came to mind. I feel like thinking about the world, if we could all sort of adopt a, 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 a mindset of what I'm gonna call universal mindset, it's sort of extrapolating out that universal design and taking into account all human beings with all kinds of needs in all scenarios. And I'm gonna trademark that, that phrase um, after today. But I think that, you know, the problem is <clears throat> that today there are not a lot of disabled people in our direct line of sight, day in and day out. You go to work, you go to the grocery store, you go, you know, out and about all these different places. You turn on your television, you open a magazine, you look, you watch a movie. And there are not a lot of disabled people represented anywhere. And so it stands to reason for me, and, and I'm a person who tries a lot to give people the benefit of the doubt, because I understand that if you're not exposed to something on a daily basis, if you don't have a person with a disability in your life, and you don't see us on television, and you don't see us in your offices, and you don't see them anywhere that you go, <clears throat> I understand that we are uncomfortable with and maybe even afraid of the things that we're not familiar with. And so I think that what is really critical, what really needs to happen in our society is to give people with disabilities much more intentionally roles 
in our society and allow them to be represented in the media, in entertainment, um, hire people with disabilities into your offices. You know, if you look around you, anywhere that you may be, and you don't see people who don't look like you, whether that's race, whether that's age, whether that's people with different types of, of physical abilities, then I think you're missing out. And if I talk about it in the context of say corporate America, you know, I worked in corporate America in the high tech world for 20 years before I had the, the career that I have today. I worked for big companies with thousands of employees and I was the only person with a disability who I ever saw. And I think that there's something wrong with that. You know, I think that every person, every individual with different types of lifestyles who come from different places, you know, each of those individual people bring very unique skills and perspectives and ideas to the table. So for example, me as a disabled person, I am incredibly creative. I think outside the box. I'm a problem solver. I'm resilient. Um, I'm incredibly loyal to the employers and the people in this world who do give me opportunities and give me chances. In fact, in the 20 years that I worked in corporate America, I only worked for three companies because I was so fiercely loyal to them and I wanted to see them be successful and be part of their success. Um, I think that my disability has given me an empathy and a compassion that makes me a really effective leader of people. And so, you know, if you make a conscious effort to bring people into your ecosystem who are different than you, I think that it's going to make you competitive. It's going to make you um, a thought leader. It's going to make you a much more interesting, well-rounded person um, if you take that approach to life. Mindy, that was beautifully said. Thank you for uh, uh, that perspective. You had a high-tech career. You were a, a traditional professional, just like, you know, someone without a disability. You are now an entrepreneur, speaker, coach, soon-to-be author. Let's pivot as we end our discussion today. Talk a bit about the book that you're writing. What is the purpose? What is your intention? And we'll talk about your podcast. Yes. So, you know, the, the podcast and the, the book are both titled The Truth About Things That Suck. So they're very closely linked. And really everything that I do in my career today is, you know, at the core of all of it is my journey as a person with a disability and as a person who has learned to be really good at navigating adversity. And so my mission in life is to leave the world a little bit better than I found it. And what I mean by that is a world where inclusion is the norm, where no challenge is too big to overcome, and where people see potential instead of limitations. And so with the book that I'm writing, what I'm doing is shining a light on sort of the universal adversities that show up in all of our lives. Things like um, shame and fear and failure and job loss and struggles to have children and all of these different things. And I'm taking you through a journey of how they've shown up in my life and how maybe they could be showing up in your life. But the thing 
that I've realized is that even though our struggles may be different, the tools and the strategies and the perspectives that we can use to navigate them are universal. And one of the things that I've learned about things that suck <laughs> and the truth that I've learned about things that suck is that there are multiple realities that can be true at the same time. And you can be sitting in something really awful, but there are always, always things in our life to counter that, that are just as true. You know, our families who love us, our friends, our coworkers, the roof over our head, the little bit of money in our bank accounts, and all of those things can be true and exist at the same time that we may be struggling. And so that's really what I'm trying to um, navigate and, and, and lead people through in the book that I'm writing. And the other thing that I've really learned in life is that, you know, I think because my family and I'm, I'm digressing just a little bit from your original question, but I, I feel like it's important to say, you know, I grew up in a family that had the same expectations of me that they had of my able-bodied sister. And I recognized that I was very fortunate to grow up in the family that I did with the people that I did. But what that's taught me is that, you know, to sort of have expectations put on me, um, I've become a person who has honestly accomplished just about every goal I've ever set out to accomplish. And I feel like what I've proven in that process is that the wrong mindset in life can be far more disabling than what any wheelchair represents. Bam, on that one. Your book is going to be a massive bestseller, The Truth about things that suck. Mindy, you are more productive than people I know that don't have a disability. You're shaming so many people. Oh, no. But in an aspirational way, uh, before we end the conversation, talk about the other podcast, oh, by the way, that you happen to host. Absolutely. So I'm so excited. This is brand new. The Muscular Dystrophy Association, who I've already mentioned, has been a lifelong partner and ally of mine, approached me a couple of months ago, and they have a podcast called The Quest Podcast under development, and they asked me to be their host. So, um, you know, this is intended to be a podcast for primarily the neuromuscular disease community, but honestly, really the disabled community at large, the community of disabled people um, and people who love them, you know, and anyone who wants to learn about disability. We're going to be having such important conversations about things like universal design and employment and dating and um, what else? Air travel, which is such a bee in my bonnet. Um, and so we're going to be talking about all of these really important issues and how they affect people who live with disabilities every day. Mindy, thank you for being my friend. Oh, thank you for being my friend. <laughs> uh, you are, um, you're one of my most courageous uh, challengers. It's not unusual for you to text me and say, what the hell are you thinking, Scott? Or, <laughs> why did you write that? Or why did you say that? I, <laughs> I love that 
we have this friendship where we can help each other. Mindy Henderson, thank you for joining us. Your book, The Truth About Things That Suck in Development, now not yet available for pre-order. You can be damn sure we're going to have you back on when that launches to give you a spotlight forward and talk more about it. Mindy, thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you back here in just about a year or so from now. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mindy. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next week with a new guest on Leadership.